With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to Insight, a show about empowering our community. I'm Lorraine Ballard Morrow. Insight is sponsored by the American Association for Cancer Research. I have a special passion for this organization because it's the first and largest cancer research foundation in the world. Their members are the scientists who are making the biggest breakthroughs in cancer research. That's where your donation goes. 88 cents out of every dollar, by the way. Go to aacr.org slash donate and thanks. The clock is ticking and we have a much shorter holiday shopping season. I don't know about you, but I am panicking. For those of us who are desperate last minute shoppers, I have some really great advice from Stephanie Rudd. She's a wine specialist for fine wine and good spirits. But first, we talk about the asbestos crisis in Philadelphia public schools. And it's not just asbestos. I do cover a lot of stories. But, you know, in this particular case, I've got some skin in the game because my fiancé's son goes to Ben Franklin High School. As many of you know, Ben Franklin has been closed down for renovations, remediation, because asbestos has been found there. Science Leadership Academy is the other school that is in that building. And this issue brings up so many other issues that really impact all of the schools in the Philadelphia School District. Joining us in the studio are some folks who are going to help us put some perspective on all of this. David Mazur, who's executive director of Penn Environment and founding member of Philly Healthy Schools Initiative. And he also has two kids at Southwark in South Philly. Jerry Roseman is director of environmental science for the Teachers Union and the Health and Welfare Fund and Environmental Science Advisor for Philly Healthy Schools. Thank you both for coming back and talking with us today. So um, since we last had a chance to chat, I know that there have been some developments, but just to kind of set the stage, set the table here, let's talk about Ben Franklin, because Ben Franklin has been a flashpoint, really, for this whole issue of the safety of schools regarding the internal environment. So, David, tell us briefly kind of what the the issues are with Ben Franklin. Sure. Well, in a nutshell, the school district was renovating the Ben Franklin High School building in order to actually put two high schools into one building, Science Leadership Academy was going to have a portion of the building and essentially move in and share the building with the students who were at Ben Franklin High School. It was a big project, a very expensive project, $37 million. And it became clear uh, quite early on in that project that, number one, the district probably could not do it on the timeline that they had set out. And number two, that as the work was happening, it was leading to a whole set of health risks for students and teachers and others in the building, one of which was asbestos contamination, and asbestos is a known carcinogen. Uh, so that raised immediate flags 
from Jerry here as well as others. So that's sort of the quick backdrop that led to sort of a emergency response by community members and unfortunately a slow response, it felt like, by the district to tackle the problem in, in a way that would protect the health of people in that building and do it quickly. Well, let's talk to you, Jerry, because you are you're a specialist in all of this and you were able to go in and find not only were there some areas that the school district admitted to, but there are some additional areas of asbestos that were in locations throughout the school building. I wonder if you can talk a bit about that. Sure, that is right. There's a lot of asbestos in that building. Some seem to have been known to the district and other materials not. And so they were, quote, surprised by them, although as it turns out, they shouldn't be. And so in addition to construction dust and dirt and exposures that sickened children and staff. They then faced asbestos exposures, both some of which were known, some not. And actually, I know we're going to touch on some of this new work. The point I think to make about Ben Franklin SLA is going to be the continuing point, which is why and how does that happen? In some cases, there's not enough money or there's not enough time. But in this case, there was plenty of money and plenty of time. And so the real problems are planning, collaboration, inspection, assessment, and data sharing, and then implementation of proper practices. Those things, as hard as it is to believe, were missing at Ben Franklin SLA in a $37 million and now $40-plus million project. They're often what's missing. So even where there's a lot of work, there's a lot of smoke. Sometimes there's just not enough real productive forward movement. And even in cases where there's all this work going on, it can elevate the hazard. Well, let's talk about how the problems at Ben Franklin really reflect uh, a larger issue, a larger problem throughout the school district. Ben Franklin was followed by Pierce and Meredith. Meredith Nebinger kind of preceded and were along with Ben Franklin and SLA and then followed by Pierce and Pratt. Right. Okay. So we have some additional schools that were found to have asbestos. And I wonder if we can also talk about how the school district has dealt with, with these various schools and how that also reflects on the school population, whether income inequality has, is a factor in how these issues were addressed. Yeah, certainly I think, sadly, these schools are a pretty clear case study that there are haves and have-nots in the city and how the city and the district deals with these problems. So I think we saw at Meredith in sort of center city, South Philly area, uh, it has parents who have a lot of political access tied to politicians in the city and decision makers, when it became apparent there was some asbestos contamination, they got the Cadillac service. The, the district came in quickly, wanted to meet with parents and teachers and others over and over, and you know worked pretty diligently to try and solve that asbestos contamination problem. It took a little more pushing, and SLA, Ben Franklin, is an example where you have both communities, one with a lot of political influence and one with very little political influence. The students at Ben Franklin put up with horrendous conditions for many months in the first stages of the construction and rehabilitation of that building, and no one did anything. Once the parents and teachers from SLA started to move into the building, suddenly 
everybody was crying that the sky is falling and that there's a problem and the district felt motivated to move again and meet with parents, have transparency. Um, the top people in the district met with parents and teachers. Um, I, you may have been at that meeting yes. <laughs> at the school district building. They took a whole day and, you know, hundreds of people turned out at Pierce. Then you see the opposite. Pierce uh, is in North Philly, a, a very impoverished community, predominantly African-American community. And the response was slow. The cleanup was at a snail's pace. The district did not hold meetings where Dr. Hyde or others were going to spend the whole day with parents and teachers to answer their questions and walk them through solutions. So I think that shows you the spectrum where for the schools like Meredith and SLA that have political clout and juice in the town, they were treated fairly differently than the schools like Ben Franklin or Pierce uh, who don't have that same access. And essentially their health and concerns were not addressed in the same way. So I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. Jerry wanted to add to that. Just a quick environmental science perspective to this. I agree with, with David's analysis uh, fully. However, I think there is this other element that is both sad and sort of instructive. The school district, these problems are systemic. Right. And so the school district treats many buildings in every community in much the same way. And I think one of the big changes is how loud and powerful the voices of parents are and then how they get listened to by the district. You know, these problems, so they're worse in communities of color, in low wealth communities. They're also affecting schools throughout the city from Masterman to Southwark to every school in the Northeast. So it's a really, it's a problem that we need to grapple with in in a bunch of different ways for sure. One of the conversations that we had uh, previously was about the cost of all of this. One of the things that people will say time and time again is, oh, my God, it's going to cost so much. And and how can we begin to remediate all of these many schools because they're mostly all old? Uh, David, I know you suggest that maybe we shouldn't be looking at it simply in terms of what we consider to be the cost of being able to make these safe schools. Sure. And I think we'd all concede that our schools and our education system in total needs more money. So I, I don't think that's an issue per se. But I think some of these recent examples highlight that the number one, the district does have a lot of money. So the district has, you know, uh, something like a three billion dollar a year budget. That's a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money on projects like this, as Jerry mentioned, the SLA, Ben Franklin School alone, is now going to top $40 million. And when you think that advocates in Harrisburg are asking for $100 million for the whole school district, that one building, if it was done correctly or spent differently to tackle these issues, would get us over a third of the way from what the advocates are calling for. So I do think it's really important that we recognize, while we need more money, in many of these cases, the district has money that is set aside to make sure that buildings are kept up in the city, that school buildings are are kept up. And I think you see that like at Meredith, where a problem arose. The district did not come back and say, you know, throw their hands up and say, well, there's no money, so we'll get to it in the next fiscal year when we have more money come in. They went in immediately, they ferreted out the problem, and they solved it because they do have money in many cases to tackle these issues. So I think we need to make sure that parents and teachers our elected officials are keeping their eyes on the prize and making sure that the district is spending money first and foremost to protect the health of our kids and teachers 
and work backwards from there. That, I think, is the root cause, and it gets to Jerry's point. Parents are kept in the dark. They are not given access to information. They're not given a seat at the table. They're not informed about what the practices the district is using. The district won't take practices to improve what they're doing. And until we fix those things, no amount of money that politicians throw at this, as we're seeing at SLA, $37 million, like that's money that we won't get back. That won't solve the problems without these systemic fixes. I also wanted to address the issue of trust because of the things that you talk about, the lack of transparency, the lack of communication, perhaps even the fact that uh, I know that a lot of the Ben Franklin parents are complaining about many of the, the meetings that are being called are at a time when they have to work. Trust is broken. And not only among the parents and the students, but also the teachers, I imagine. Right, Jerry? Yes. I mean, I think that for the teachers... Unlike the parents, the teachers and students live in the school every day, live in the schools every day. So what if it's raining in the building, it's raining on them. And so these people, these direct stakeholders, the people who are standing there and sitting there, I think trust is definitely broken for them. The adult staff, the educational staff and the support staff responsible for protecting children, for educating them, for keeping them safe during the day there's an enormous uh, lack of, of trust and confidence that work is being done right. And I think this is the focus on governance. The truth is that if the work is done correctly, the schools can be made safe. They may not be fully renovated, but they will be safe. And that can be done in a way that's very modest, in relatively modest. But to do that requires... A, a collective effort. It really does. That cannot happen without real substantive significant stakeholder effort at the expert level and at the parent level and at every level. It just will not. I think the, the disturbing and sad aspect of all of this is that we don't know what the impact of this asbestos exposure is going to have on the teachers and, and the students that have been exposed thus far. We do know that there is a teacher who has mesothelioma, and she was the subject of an extensive piece that was aired on Good Morning America that you, David, were also featured on. And I think that just to hear her speak and to hear her talk about uh, just, you know, she clearly was a dedicated teacher, but the fact that she can't go back to teaching or the fact that she may not see her kids graduate from college get married, have children. I have to say, I, I just, I teared up. It was just absolutely devastating to hear her testimony there. Yeah, it's certainly gut-wrenching. And, you know, for me, it makes me very sad, but it also makes me very angry. Uh, like you said, someone who uh, gave 30 years of their life service to teach our kids, educate them, teach them how to be good members of society. We have to make sure there's not another case like that. And we have to do it not just with asbestos. Every day we're, you know, we hear about kids who go home because they have an asthma attack because there's too much dust or mold, or there are the cases of kids who get lead contamination because of crumbling lead paint. There's these cumulative contaminants that have effects, you know, that we won't sadly see for decades from now, like in Leah's case, the, the teachers, but there are those we'll see today, tomorrow, next week, with asthma attacks, 
and um, other hey guys it is Ryan I'm not sure if you know this about me but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can I like to work but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VTW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The problems in the school. And if we in this city and as a country can't make protecting our kids in the place where they spend most of their waking hours a priority, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what we're fighting for anymore here. So. Right. Right. You know, and on the, on the granular and personal level, you were saying we're not sure what these impacts will be on our kids and staff in some years. We saw what one of those impacts is, unfortunately. An impact of asbestos is you don't know that you're really being exposed because you can't easily detect it. That's why there should be such an effort on controlling it. And the impact, if that if you suffer from that, is catastrophic. And that's what we're seeing with that teacher. On a personal level, in being in these schools, I'm talking to teachers. I talk to parents is kind of how I met David. And I'm talking to students who are in the schools and my job as an environmental science practitioner in these buildings is to not let these things happen that are kind of easy to allow because you don't see it and smell it and feel it. I've kind of hit a wall with being able to accept what I'm seeing. Uh, it really is offensive to me that I'll ever again be in a situation where anyone has to apologize to somebody for a disease like this that could have been controlled, prevented in ways that are easier than one would imagine. This should never happen where we could even have the possibility that there is a disease of this type affecting people who are just teaching or attending a school. That's an outrage. And just uh, to add on to some of the, the impact you talk about, David, the impact of dust and the asthma attacks and the lead exposure. But um, I have spoken to Ben Franklin parents because of the disruption in their academic courses. There are decent students, good students that are now depressed. They're angry. They're doing worse in school where they were doing pretty well in school. So we can't even, we can also have to address the fact that there's an emotional and academic impact that, again, is invisible to the eye, but it's happening every day to these students. Yeah, it's emotional. It affects their academics. There's ample data that shows that there's a correlation between kids missing school, asthma attacks, and other health, health effects. And that has a huge economic effect. I mean, we're trying to make our kids and all of the kids in our schools go on to be productive members of society. If they miss school, have bad grades, don't learn the things they need to learn, certainly that affects them going forward. So so this uh, has a whole set of negative effects on health, on the community, on our overall economy. And again, you know, this is why it seems so crazy that there's just not an all hands on deck to solve this the right way and as quickly as possible. So finally, if people out there, students, parents, teachers, staff, community members who care, what are some actions that they can take? How do they find out more about what you all do? Sure. Well, there are a couple of things folks can do. So number one, I always recommend folks visit the coalition's website, 
phillyhealthyschools.org. And that has a whole set of information and has a way for parents and others who want to get involved or get more information or volunteer some of their time to jump into the coalition. So that's number one. We also have a pretty cool app that Jerry worked on extensively with the PFT, the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers, which is the teachers union. And it's an app. If you go to the website, you can download and it allows you to take pictures and upload information about potential environmental health risks you're seeing in your school. And it doesn't only have to be asbestos. It could be crumbling paint. It could be water leaking in. It could be pests of their rodents or cockroaches. You can upload all of this. And then the staff at the teachers union really tries to push the district to tackle those specific problems. And I think the last thing, and and Jerry probably has more to add, but I would say, you know, just be vigilant. This will get solved if parents and others elbow a seat to the table, tell the district and our politicians in the city that they expect this to get fixed. If people are quiet or sit back or assume someone else will fix this, it's likely these problems will continue. Right. And what's the website for PFT? So there's PFT Health and Welfare Fund. That's pfthw.org. And people can also visit pft.org. And on those websites, there's information. There's also, there are also links to the mobile app there, the PFT Healthy Schools Tracker. And I agree with David. You know, when I was growing up in Philadelphia, there weren't home and school associations. There were parent-teacher associations. Parents and teachers, unions and parent communities should be working together. They can ask for walk-through evaluations of the schools. Somebody like me can help lead those and others can, so people can see and understand better what's going on. That's a big thing to do. Everybody can use the mobile app. It was built by a team that I put together, and that team developed this so parents, anybody, can respond using the mobile app to report problems, and that would really be useful. And then I think to call for independent assessment, evaluation, involvement of the kind David's talking about. Stakeholders, you know, are are from a variety of different places, some expert, some with all the skin in the game, their kids in those schools, some who were in the schools themselves. Every one of them needs to have some kind of voice, and that's what should be fought for as well. And David, what is the website for Philly Healthy Schools? It's pretty easy. It's just phillyhealthyschools.org. Thank you both very much for joining us today for this very critical issue. And we certainly can make a difference if we all get involved. So let's see what we can do to push the needle on making these schools safer for all of our kids and our teachers and the staff. David Mazur, Executive Director, Penn Environment, founding member of Philly Healthy Schools Initiative. Got a couple of kids at Southwark in South Philly. Jerry Roseman, Director of Environmental Science for the Teachers Union and the Health and Welfare Fund and the Environment Science Advisor for Philly Healthy Schools. I'm Lorraine Ballard-Morrill. You're listening to Insight. Oh my gosh, Christmas is just around the corner, folks. And Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Festivus, I mean, all the holidays are upon us. And uh, those of us who are desperate always know that there is a one-stop shop for gifts, and that is fine wine and good spirits. Joining us in the studio is Stephanie Rudd. She is a wine specialist for fine wine and good spirits, and she's going to give us some holiday tips on how to give creatively this 
holiday season. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Lorraine. Tell us, uh, what are some things that you would suggest that will help us last-minute gift givers? I think it is it is important to educate yourself on and or knowing who you're shopping for, what exactly it is that you're going to purchase. And bottom line, if it becomes too stressful, grab a handful of gift cards, any denomination, and apply whatever amounts you'd like to. You also have a very unique program called Fill a Tote. What is that? That is probably going to be your smartest buy, especially around this time of year. It runs Typically, every other month, customers can mix and match any six qualifying wines and save an additional $12. Plus, you get one of those indestructible free totes. <laughs> now, the other thing, too, is that when we go to when we wait till the last minute, which is me, there tend to be lines. And, you know, rightfully so, because, you know, everyone wants to get their last minute gift in there. But there is a way to order your liquor, your wines, your gifts. How do we do that? And how does that sa- that saves us having to wait in line, right? It absolutely does. And if you are tech savvy, please, and I encourage those to go on finewineandgoodspirits.com. We're offering free shipping to home or business. And that is, of course, with a $50 or more purchase that began November and will end December 31st. There are also some great DIY videos on your YouTube page. Tell us about that. If you go on to the, to the website and click on to the gifts tab, there are some absolutely hilarious gift guides and or you can put together for yourself, like, say, a mini bar in a jar or a martini kit or just put together two. What I've been yearning for is just a glass of wine. We've got half bottles as well. Order two half bottles, tie a red ribbon around them, put a little funny note saying cut in emergency case only and hand those out to your friends as well. Oh, that's adorable. We were we were chatting in the hallway and I I learned so much just by standing there and talking with a bunch of people who are surrounding you. One thing is that wine comes in a can now. It absolutely does. Pennsylvania has even put together a 24 can. It's called the Precept Wine Advent Calendar, and that's 24 cans for 24 days of wine. It is absolutely adorable. But most of all, I think it is more useful than people will will realize. Well, absolutely, because a lot of times I know in my household, we'll drink a bottle of wine, but we won't drink it all. And then it might sit in the refrigerator. It might sit on the counter and then it kind of goes bad. But if you have it in a can and apparently it tastes as good as the, the kind that you get in a bottle, then there's a lot less waste. Absolutely. And that's they're only 375 milliliters. So for the most part, you can pretty much finish a can of that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the, some of the unique brands that you have. Again, we were out talking to our friend Matt out in the hallway and he bought a Dan Aykroyd vodka that comes in a bottle that's shaped like a skull. And it is absolutely beautiful. People are visual shoppers as well. Um, but I've, we've also got some themed wines as well. The Game of Thrones Chardonnay, as well as the Pinot Noir and a Cabernet. And those are just for your Game of Thrones fans. We've also got the Ferguson Crest Fergalicious Red Blend and the Fergalicious Crest Viognier, which is one of my favorite wines. But they're also signed both by one by Fergie and the and then we've also got the Sherilyn Champagne Rosé. And that, too, is signed by Isaiah Thomas as well. I 
traditionally get my future brother-in-law a bottle of rum, and I get him the Kraken rum. And, you know, it's like, you know, release the Kraken. (laughs) (laughs) So I get to say that every Christmas, which is always a lot of fun. When you go into a, a store, one of the fine wine and and good spirits stores, it probably is a good idea to think ahead as to where you want to go, what you want to buy, because it can be a little bit overwhelming, right? It can be daunting. And the stores get really, really crowded that time of year. So start with a plan. Start with a plan or either find someone like myself in a green apron and I can pretty much kind of direct you wherever it is that you want or I can recommend anything that you also may be looking for as well. Well, I have to to talk a little bit about your origin story. You've worked for Fine Wine and Good Spirits for how long? Many years? It's 20 years now. That is an incredible run. And I wonder if you can tell us how you got into it. It was kind of just on a whim. As I got into my teenage years and got to be, you know, 20 and 21, my dad had always belonged to some kind of a club or was always having some kind of affair. So I started there in understanding liquor and where they come from and where they begin and all of the different styles. And that's where it began. It's really one thing to to like to drink wine, but it's another thing to really have that knowledge about the different types of wine and different types of liquors. When you step into one of those fine wine and good spirits stores, it's just like a wonderland. How do you keep up with all of that? It does. It takes a lot of education, but it's also an understanding that everybody has different likes and everything. All of these products, a lot of times, are very subjective. It is also understanding what it is that you you absolutely love. So I think it begins there, too, with understanding what it is that you love, understanding the origin of a lot of these products and how much work goes into producing a lot of these products. Well, it is really wonderful to have you in. And once again, if people would like to get advice, if they'd like to order online, if they'd like to take advantage of some of the great suggestions and how you can make a gift go even further. What's the website for more information? And also, I guess we can follow you on social media. Is that right? Absolutely. The website is finewineandgoodspirits.com. Please go on and venture through all of the tabs. There is so much information. You can also follow us again on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us. You've made my gift giving future a little less stressful because now I know all these really great options that I can take advantage of. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will also take advantage of some of this great advice. And if people want to check you out, where are you guys located? Where are you located? I am at the top of the hill in Chestnut Hill, which is a beautiful neighborhood. It's a beautiful store. So please come in and see me. I'd love for you guys to have a wonderful holiday as well as not become stressed out over these <laughs> over these holidays as well. So again, follow us, follow us again on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. And please, you guys have a happy holiday and drink responsibly. Stephanie Rudd, wine specialist for fine wine and good spirits. I'm Lorraine Ballard Morrill. Thank you for listening to Insight. You can stream today's interviews by going to our website and typing in keyword community and clicking on the podcast tab. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lorraine Ballard. That's Lorraine with one R. And do something positive for your community.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.